Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, we lost a great defender of the faith this week. In fact, one of the greatest apologists of all time, in my view, and that's Dr. Norman Geisler. He left this world this past Monday, uh, July 1st, and of course, he's now with Christ. And I had the great privilege to sit under Dr. Geisler for many years, to present with him, to author a couple of books with him. We authored Legislating Morality back in 1998. And of course, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist in 2004. And let me say the contents of I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is nearly all Norm Geisler. I mean, he had that outline for years and we were going around the country teaching 12 points that show Christianity is true. And I finally said, Norm, this really needs to be a book. And we added a couple of points in the front of his outline to deal with truth because postmodernism was uh, taken over at the time. But just about everything you read in that book in terms of argumentation is his. Uh, and uh, in his day, uh, he almost was 87. He, he would have been 87 later this month. Um, he wrote or co-wrote nearly 100 books. Now, that's more than one per year of being alive. He has written more books than most people have read. I can guarantee you one thing. One question that's not being asked of Norm Geisler right now in heaven is, couldn't you have done more? No, I don't think he could have done more. And there's no one uh, from whom I've learned more about Christianity and defense of the faith than uh, Norm Geisler. So he's left a wonderful legacy that includes, as I say, more than 100 books, thousands of apologists, pastors, and disciples. In fact, uh, one of his students was uh, Robbie Zacharias, who is going to do his funeral. And if you're listening to this on Saturday, he's doing it today, Saturday, July 6th. Um, and so we'll be at the funeral today. And he also uh, had William Lane Craig as a student. And he also had Dr. Michael Heiser as a student. And uh, Mike was on the show last week. Uh, to do Unseen Realm Part 1, and he's on the show this week to do Unseen Realm Part 2. And I'm going to say more about Dr. Geisler next week and give you more of an overview of, of what he's done and some of the arguments he brought forth into popular apologetics. But let me go to my friend, Dr. Michael Heiser. Mike, you had him at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago. I did. I, I, took, uh, I took classes at Dallas uh, for a couple of years. I had him for bibliology. I had him for an apologetics course. Some of my all-time favorite <laughs> quotes come from Norm guys. <laughs> they do. He's kind of had a, a pretty oh, witty uh, sense of humor. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll share one. We, we, we were sitting waiting for class to start and he comes in and, and some student just really excited. So Dr. Geisler, Dr. Geisler, have, have you read Tim LaHaye's latest book? <laughs> oh, I know what he's going to say. He Go just, ahead. He just deadpanned it. He just looked at the guy and said, why would I read LaHaye? I haven't finished Aquinas. <laughs> I know. He said, I haven't finished Aquinas like, yet. Oh, and that was no disrespect toward LaHaye. He was just that saying. Was, that was just the end of that. <laughs> oh, but he was just full of, you know, just quotes like that, that just, you know, he had a, 
he just had him in the in the can ready to go. <laughs> That's right. They were, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, so his career, and, and we'll talk more about this next week. But he he was at Trinity for many years, and then he was at Dallas for about ten years in the eighties, and then he came to Lynchburg for Liberty University for a few years, and then he started Southern Evangelical Seminary here in Charlotte. And I met him a year after he started that back in nineteen ninety two. We came here in nineteen ninety three. Is was when we met him and moved here, and uh, that school is still. Going, going strong here at Southern Evangelical Seminary, and it was founded uh, really by him. And uh, and without him, I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, uh, he Robbie was just, Zacharias he was wouldn't be doing what he's doing. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was amazing. I mean, he was. He was very personable to students. You know, he. Oh yeah. He uh, yeah. went out of his way to invite students over to his house. And, oh yeah. You know, yep. just you know. Well, what can you say? And the depth of knowledge, too. I mean, he literally wrote the Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics by himself. <laughs> the thing is that it's an encyclopedia, literally. I mean, the thing has got to be, I don't know, 1,200 pages or something. He wrote the whole yeah, thing over a couple very of years. Productive. Yeah. 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 I think, I think books fell out of his head at night, you know. There's another one. <laughs> anyway, we'll but talk more the about other guys, him. Their quote is, he told what? us one time when his wife caught him staring out the window uh-huh. Uh, one day and, and she said, you know, honey, what are you doing? And he said, working. That's right. <laughs> he was thinking. He so was I've, thinking I've about used that on my wife. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right. I'm working. Well, you know, and another line he, that Barbara would, would go to him sometimes, you know, in the days before, before, um, word processors and all that, you know, he would handwrite everything and she would type it up and wow. she would come to him and read the sentence that he wrote, and he and she would say, "Norm, you don't understand what that sentence means." <laughs> Tell me, I you don't understand you. it. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, we'll talk more about him next week um, after the funeral and after everything has been said, uh, rightfully so, at his funeral. Uh, but I want to get back to your book, Mike, uh, because Unseen Realm is. Uh, it's sort of a game-changing book when it comes to really understanding the depth of the supernatural worldview that the Bible actually teaches. And uh, if people here out here are listening to this podcast and didn't listen to last week, you're not going to be able to really pick up where we left off unless you listen to the first podcast. So go back and listen to the first podcast on Unseen Realm. We can't recover everything we covered last time. Lest, lest you be frightened at this discussion. <laughs> That's right. Lest you be, you're going, what are these guys talking about? Other gods in the Bible? What? Yes, you, you really need to go back and listen to that. But for those of you that are, that are just tuning in and haven't heard the last, go back in and listen to it. Let me briefly say that, yes, the Bible teaches there are other gods with a small g. Just read Psalm 82, read Psalm 89, go to Deuteronomy 32 and get the book Unseen Realm. But I want to start with this question, Mike, because we covered all this last week. But here's, here's, here's a new kind of question for you. In light of the divine counsel that is talked about in, say, Psalm 82 and other places, are you saying that there are more spiritual beings than just angels and demons and the disembodied dead? And if so, who are, who are these spiritual beings? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of this, this question stems from a terminology problem. Uh, I have a follow-up book. I don't, I don't get into this too much in Unseen Realm, I, uh, just a little bit, but in a follow-up book uh, titled Angels, What the Bible Really Says About the Heavenly Host, mm -hmm. I talk about, I, I, I sort of take the vocabulary in the Old Testament and break it into three subcategories. There are terms that describe the nature 
of a member of the heavenly host. This would be terminology like spirits, heavenly ones, okay? They're ontological terms. And then there are terms that describe the status of a member of the heavenly host in hierarchy in the spiritual world. And these would be things like, you know, council or sons of God. Sons of God is actually a term drawn from the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, and it's a hierarchical, you know, term, you know, that they would use of sort of royal courts uh, in the ancient world. And then there are terms like angel, cherubim. Uh, these are job descriptions. They are terms that describe function or role. And this is where we get just kind of the multiplicity. Elohim, as we talked about last time in the, in the first interview, is a term you would use to describe any member, any disembodied member of the spiritual world, human dead, the God of Israel, gods of the nations, all this kind of stuff. So that's, that's your, your umbrella term. Now, in that world, there is rank, there is hierarchy, there is differentiation in power and ability. There are ontological distinctions. And it's in that world that we get a lot of this other terminology going on. So there are masses. I, I, I believe Scripture teaches very plainly that there is a densely populated spiritual world. You know, good and evil, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then in that world, you have different supernatural beings either in rebellion or not and on either side of that you get a situation where they are described in various ways depending on role or rank all right hold so that, in that thought sense, mike yeah hold that thought because we're coming up to a break and i want to unpack that when we come back who are these other spiritual beings how much power do they have can they do miracles how can we test the spirits to discover if something is coming from god if evil spirits can do counterfeit miracles I'm Frank Turek. I'm back with Michael Heiser in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And if you haven't downloaded the free Cross-Examined app, what is wrong with you? Download it. It's free. Two words in the App Store. Cross-Examined. And my guest today is Dr. Michael Heiser, who is coming to us from an unknown mall food court location somewhere right. in Washington State. <laughs> It's now my office since it's all packed, but my That's office it? has a food court. Does, <laughs> so, does your office have a Chick-fil-A? Uh, no, no. Be it's not Bellingham's, a Christian office then. It's right, not a Belling Christian office. I know. I know. Be Bellingham is just too too left wing to have a Chick-fil-A. So. Oh, okay. All right. In the name but of we inclusion, drive tolerance, one. and diversity, they're excluded. <laughs> what? Right. But you can drive to one? Okay. We can. Yeah, we, it, it takes about 70 miles, but we can get there. <laughs> well, Dr. Heiser, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, has written the uh, book Unseen Realm and many other books. In fact, the the, more, the summary version of Unseen Realm is a book called Supernatural, so you can get that as well. You can also hear Dr. Heiser on the podcast called Naked Bible Podcast, and we explained what naked meant last time, so you're going to have to go back to the last podcast to hear about that. But Mike, before the break, we were talking about the differentiation between different spiritual beings in the Unseen Realm. Go, so pick it up right there. You, how many yeah, there, different are there, and how, how much yeah, power there, do they there have? There are... There are 
there are a lot of terms that really relate to roles and again, rank and status and hierarchy and things like that. So that, that's one way to approach a question like, do we have more than just angels and demons? The, the short answer is yes. The demons of the Gospels are further distinguished uh, ontologically, at least in their point of origin, from principalities and powers. The principalities and powers of New Testament you know, vocabulary, Pauline vocabulary, are the fallen, you know, they're now in rebellion, uh, sons of God put over the nations at Babel, according to Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, and, you know, an assortment of other passages. But they're, they're different. They, they not only outrank in their, stra- in their strategy, you know, for, you know, perpetuating evil is different than demons, but they are different in point of origin. All of Jewish tradition, all the way up into the early centuries in, in the Christian era, uh, agrees that demons, the demons in the Gospels, are the disembodied spirits of the dead Nephilim, the giant clans, which sounds mm. really weird. But there's a pile of academic material on this that never filters down to the church. My, I think the best book on this is Archie Wright's book. He teaches at Regent University uh, in Virginia Beach, uh, Origin of Evil Spirits. It's, it's a scholarly academic book, but I try to, you know, again, relay some of that in unseen realms. So they're different. You know, what Jesus is dealing with in the Gospels are actually sort of lower on the pecking order than what Paul is thinking about as far as geographical places outside of the land of Israel, you know, the, the, the promised land that are under dominion of hostile you know, powers of darkness. So there's more, there are more critters and there, are, there is a better way to understand the terminology than we would suspect that we typically get taught in church. And what, we, what Christian tradition has done, you know, it's not an evil thing. It's not sinister. It's just a fact of history, is they've conflated all of the terminology into sort of these two categories, angels, mm. demons, you know, good guys, bad guys, black right. hats, you know, good white hats, black hats. But if you actually go to the vocabulary of scripture, it's a lot more variegated than that. And how much power do these beings have? And the reason I'm asking this question is because, you know, we're told to test the spirits, but if they can do miracles or even counterfeit miracles, how can we differentiate an act of a demon or another type of evil spiritual being from an act of God or an angel? Yeah, I think we need to remember that that these beings are, are less than God. I mean, he is their creator. Ultimately, God is the creator of all things in heaven and earth. It includes them, visible and invisible. So they are lesser by definition, but they are, of course, superior to us. So they can they can do spectacular, what we would call, you know, from our perspective, miraculous things. That doesn't put them at the same level. I, I answer this question this way. You know, I, I often get asked, "Hey, what if what if you were in a certain situation where something, you know, ostensibly miraculous happens? You know, what mm. what would you how would you respond to that?" And my answer is always the same. Look. I'm going to respond the way God expects me to respond. And the way God expects me to respond is to judge what I've experienced by scripture. Why does God expect that? Because that's the only thing he's given to me. It's the only objective, you know, body of truth that I can reference. And, and it may not answer my question, you know, was this, you know, from God or from something else, but God expects me to do that much. I may know right away. Okay. This isn't of the Lord or this is, you know, I'll ask, well, what, what fruit does it bear? I mean, that's another test, you know, down the road. But honestly, I have, 
you know, I write a lot. I write fiction as well as nonfiction. I've been a, a student of the paranormal, you know, for 20, 25 years. You know, it's just I know that a lot of what we would process as a miracle, even as something that's from God, can be and has been reproduced in a very ungodly setting. Hmm. And even self-contrived. And so I am very wary of anything like this. I like to say I, I'm, a, I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm willing to believe anything. Mm. You know, I, I, I need to test it first, and I don't think God is offended by that. I think he expects it. So I want to see, does it violate any point of scripture? Does it bear fruit? You know, that, that really we have to look at and say well, God's hand was in this. And so those, that's the way I approach all of those things. And so since we know from Scripture that dark powers can counterfeit certain things, we need to be very wary and not just reflexively accept something we experience as being from God. It may not be the case. Hmm. I uh, was reading from Dr. Geisler's uh, Encyclopedia of Apologetics on this earlier today, and he says a similar thing. He was pointing out that it doesn't seem like Satan or the demonic world can can create life. He gave several passages for that. And if they could, obviously, if they could say resurrect somebody from the dead, then the resurrection of Jesus would have been something that could be a deceptive miracle to get us off track. So it seems like uh, he was suggesting anyway that there are a lot of limits to the powers of the demonic. The question is, what are those limits? Does Scripture even tell us what those limits yeah, are? Yeah, that, and, that, and that's, that's the fuzzy part because it, it actually doesn't give us a whole lot of information in terms uh -huh. of specifics. For instance, you know, we get the verse about Satan, you know, manifesting as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. Okay, what we're not told there is, is that physicalized or not? Okay, and that's an important distinction. You know, is this just something visual or is it corporeal? Well, we don't know. Now, you know, we get examples of angels, you know, appearing as men. And in those instances, it's corporeal. So we could reason and say, yeah, that, I mean, that, that might be in the bag of a hostile divine being. Because if angels can do this, and by the way, we're never told that God gives them suits. We're never told anything about how an angel takes embodied form right. is that is that an ability they have in terms of the creative ability that they that god has given them and shared with them like god shares with us his creative you know impulses and abilities i mean they're certainly lesser but they're still there in, in some you know you know some comparative way we just aren't told specifics about that so i i advise people all the time that they should probe every experience they have. They should they should probe every truth claim, you know, some proposition they're given. And, and to me, that's where it falls apart the fastest. You know, what you might experience something, but if you're given messaging, I can almost guarantee that if you think carefully about the messaging, you'll be able to quickly discern whether this is of God or not. Right. The yeah, problem is, it... is when there's no messaging and, and it's just something you see or you right. Know, you know, some sensory experience. That's the difficulty. Is it, is it in accord with uh, what God has already told us through his word? Dr. Geist was famous for saying the will of God is never contrary to the word of God. And, right. Uh, you know, if, and, that, and that is, that's going to weed out a lot. Right. It won't weed out everything. And again, scripture isn't exhaustive in its coverage of how to, mm -hmm. to parse everything. But, you know, the, when scripture talks about testing the spirits, it's often in the context of false teachers. 
Mm. And so there you have content, there you have messaging. And, and so it's, it's very applicable. It, it works you know, very well if we think carefully about some messaging that we're being given. It's just when you get into this other category of, well, I saw something or I was in my room and I felt a present, you know, the, what do you do with that? Mm. Well, if there's no messaging, that's tough. But I, I would say God expects you to probe it as best you can and keep probing it. You don't Tell just, you know, willy nilly say, well, that must have been God. Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Right. Pray on it. Think about it. Probe it. Eventually, I, you know, the Lord will let you know. Tell people about your other podcast uh, that you do with regard to the paranormal. What is that, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. We, we do a podcast called Peer Anormal. And, and the, the niche of the podcast is that every time we do an episode, we'll take a topic and we will discuss that paranormal topic from the perspective of peer-reviewed academic literature on that topic. And a lot hmm. of people don't know that pretty much everything under the sun that people want to put in the paranormal bucket has been published on under peer review, either by you know a science publication or, again, something in, in, in philosophy literature or whatever. You mean but somebody we'll did their doctoral dissertation on Bigfoot? Somebody did that? <laughs> is is but, that the but, case, believe, Mike? Believe it or not, yes, you can find are you, those. <laughs> are you kidding me? No, it's usually it's usually hair sampling and you know, do we have Bigfoot DNA, you know, all that kind oh, of stuff. Okay. Right. But yeah, you, you can actually find that kind of stuff. So it's called peer normal? Is that what you say? Paranormal. So it's P-E-E-R and then A and then the word normal. So we've done about twenty episodes of that and I have a number of co hosts and we read three or four academic articles and then we just talk about well, what the articles say, you know, where what what kind of testing did they use? What are the questions they asked? What did they find? What you know, where they come down? You know, what do they say needs to be done in the future? So on and so forth. So you're delving into every potential aspect of the unseen realm, not just when it comes to well, the Bible. You're you know, looking at people, about all sorts of different things are here. Well, uh, you know, it may disturb some of your listeners, but I can guarantee you that in every one of your churches, there's going to be a handful of people that buy into really an alternative spiritual worldview. Mm -hmm. They might dress it up or filter it through the Bible to make, you know, basically to baptize it, but they're there. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Ancient Aliens is in its 12th season. Right. It has a huge viewership. Now we can poke fun at it all we want, and believe me, it deserves it. But the fact is that for, for many people, that is a mediating position. That's a mediating worldview be between the Judeo-Christian worldview and its accountability and the, the mechanistic, Darwinistic worldview. People want right. mystery. They want something to transcend, and they don't want to be accountable. So this fits wonderfully for a lot of people. Well, what we're going to do is unveil some more mystery right from the scriptures. When we come back, we're talking to Dr. Michael Heiser, his book, Unseen Realm. If you don't have it, you need to get it. His podcast, Naked Bible Podcast. He also works for Lagos, the best Bible software on the planet. He's very qualified. Back with more in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. If you're listening to this podcast on the CE, Cross-Examined Feed, um, you need to move over to the official Cross-Examined podcast because we're going to be moving everything over to that one podcast site on iTunes. We have two of them right now, and we're going to move everything over as of September 1st. So if you're subscribing to the one that just has a, a black and red lettering, it just says C-E on it, go to iTunes and look for the one that says official Cross-Examined podcast. We're going to funnel everybody to that one. And by the way, I want to thank you people for putting some great reviews up on the podcast. It helps move it up the charts, which means more people will hear it. So please continue to do that. And as of September 1st, the CE podcast will no longer be updated, just the official Cross-Examined podcast. So please go over there and sign up for that if you haven't done so already. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Michael Heiser, his Great book, Unseen Realm, you need to get. And uh, we were talking uh, prior to the break, Mike, about uh, all these different spirits and how to test them. And we also started out by talking about the divine counsel. And mm -hmm. I, I guess my question is, for me, and you know, I've been to seminary, I, I never really heard anything about the divine counsel. Yep. Here's my question. Was this taught in church history? And how many conservative commentators today agree with your interpretation of the unseen realm and the divine counsel? Well, a, a lot of them are going to agree, but they may not know it uh, necessarily because, you know, like you pointed out, there's a terminology, you know, issue. I mean, I, I only came across it as a doctoral student, like I mm -hmm. relate in the introduction to Unseen Realm. And, you know, but once you see it, it's like, how in the world did I miss that? Because right there it is in the text. Right. You know, so the, the reality is you miss things like this even as you read through scripture, when you're not thinking like an Israelite, you know, but you're thinking about, again, some later context, Reformation, medieval, you know, Catholicism, evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, whatever it is. So it's easy to read over things and not sort of catch the breadcrumbs that are there that if we were going back to a thousand BC an Israelite reading, you know, the text, oh yeah, I know what that is. It's, you know, Duh, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. just so self-evident. So there's a lot, you know, that gets omitted just from our thinking and the way we process what we're reading. As far as, you know, it being taught, yeah, you know, the, the truths of it have been taught for, for a long, 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 long time, you know, since we've had scripture, but they get, you know, it gets filtered out because of the vocabulary. I'll give you an example. You can count the number of church fathers on one hand who knew Hebrew, literally, mm. on mm. one hand. And so there's an immediate disconnect. Even the best of them are centuries removed from the New Testament era. If you throw the Old Testament, now we're over a millennium removed from the Old Testament context. This is why 
stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls were so important. It's why, you know, comparative ancient Near Eastern material is so important because the writers, you know, God in his providential wisdom chose a certain time, a certain place, people living in a certain, you know, culture with a certain worldview, a certain time, certain place to produce this thing we call the Bible. The Bible, as, you know, others have said before me, wasn't written to us or it was written for us, but not to us. You know, we're, we're millennia removed from the original writer and his original audience. And what I'm trying to do in Unseen Realm and everything else I produce is like, look, read scripture the way an Israelite would have read it. All the weird stuff will make sense on its own terms. Yes, it takes work. Yes, you have to have tools. Yes, you have to slow down you know, and think about things, but it's really worth it because let's face it, there's a lot in scripture that's really strange. Yeah. That's, that's really hard to process. Again, an Israelite would look at that and, and know exactly what to do with that because they're, they're part of that world. We don't. And unfortunately, I think we make an excuse like, well, everything's about Jesus. Well, yeah, everything contributes to this person who is the linchpin of salvation history. We understand that. But, you know, I've got news for you. You know, laws on menstruation are not about Jesus, okay? <laughs> laws right. on what to do with human waste are not about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of things that are not directly about Jesus in the text, but they contribute something on a worldview level that will make the salvation history comprehensible in its, in its grandness, in its scope, in all of its facets, so we need to re- sort of retrain our minds, you know, and you were talking about spiritual counterfeits and we got into the, the, the paranormal thing. I, believe it or not, there are people who aren't Christians who do just what I described, but they have terrible information about it. Ancient aliens don't, doesn't exist without the Internet discussion of, quote, ancient Near Eastern material or the Dead Sea Scrolls. How they process it as Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene. Jesus is descended from aliens. You know, Jesus this, Jesus that. They're doing what I just described, but they have either sinister teachers behind it, the blind leading the blind, or even worse, intentionally leading people away from Judeo-Christian, you know, thinking. Or they just, they don't know where to go and they just go out to the internet and, you know, boom, they land on a website. And because they they read and hear things that are not said in church, they assume that the church has hidden something. Mm. And that Mm. is really deeply damaging to a, a huge number of people. So that's really why I'm in this space. You know, I, I'm not, I'm by no stretch equal time because there's just, there's so much of it and it's, it's so misdirective and so bad and, and such terrible thinking. But there, there needs to be something in there to, to grab somebody's attention and say, look, this is not good scholarship. This is not good thinking. I understand the impulse to think that the church has hidden something from you or doesn't want you to know something. That's not true. Okay, the answer is in the text. You have to go back to primary sources. Go back to the text. And I, I get emails all the time. I used to believe in this. I used to believe in that. And, and now I've come back to the faith. I mean, that, that's why I do it, you know, to have a, have a little bit of space in this huge, vast universe of bad thinking. There's and, plenty and, of that you know, out we, there. We have this gap, yeah. you know, we, we started a, a YouTube channel called Fringe Pop 321 that is specifically for this. 
Mm. Uh, we have a nice set. It's very cool. We do episodes on fringe topics. We have about 60 of them now on YouTube. This is an enterprise we started with your friend, Greg Outlaw from allaboutgod.com. Yep. yep. You know, it's just, just that it's as simple as that. Try to give people clear thinking about the Bible and other ancient material because they just don't. They just don't. And, and they've, they're convinced they've come, they've come across a new transcendent worldview. They have a new spirituality now. They don't have to be Darwinists or Christians, God forbid. We can be, you know, what we used to call new agers. We can be, you know, this, we can believe in these transcendent realities, but parse them in all sorts of ways. And, and this is Gnosticism has gotten a boost from this. Well, you know, you know Mike, it, it's, it, just it's all over the place. Yeah, it is all over the place. And I'm so glad you're in this space, especially doing those other alternative podcasts as well, because people can be drawn into the Christian faith through these kinds of spiritual they experiences they think they, they have. Can. And when, yeah, when you put the right uh, uh, scaffolding around their experience, then they can say, oh, this is what it really means. And, you know, and that's as really said, what it is. That's a great yeah. metaphor, you know, scaffolding uh, framework. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm trying to do that in unseen realm. Here is the framework. Here is the here is the supernaturalistic framework as viewed by an ancient Israelite or a first century Jew. Now go read your Bible. And on the other side, it's like, here's the framework. It's not this wacky stuff right. you know, that, that you get on, on these shows or the internet. You got to come over here and, and it'll answer your questions. Well, I've, I've said this before. And by the way, we're talking to Dr. Michael Heiser. His book is Unseen Realm. That's the academic version, but any person can understand it. If you want the more popular version, with fewer footnotes, that kind of thing, get the book Supernatural. Either of those are going to work. You can also go to Mike's website. The website is is uh, D-R-M-A-S-H for Dr. Michael S. Heiser dot com, D-R-M-S-H dot com. You can also listen to him at the Naked Bible podcast. And Mike, I've said this before, that for atheism or materialism to be true, every single spiritual experience in the history of the world has to be mistaken. <laughs> Right. Every single one. Yeah. Now, is that possible? True, go out and buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible, but it's not. It's not probable. Well, like, like, yeah, I go on these. I go on. Like, I've been on Coast to Coast AM, which is the the largest you know, one of these paranormal talk shows. I've been on there uh -huh. over thirty times. So for some reason, they tolerate me, and I'm grateful <laughs> they do because they're very gracious. But the host will, he always wants to talk about ancient aliens. It's possible, Mike, isn't it? I said, uh -huh. well, George, you know, it's possible that I could be the next American Idol or I'm going to go out and win a Nobel Prize or an Academy Award. All those things uh -huh. are possible, uh -huh. but they're so improbable that they're absurd. Right. You know, right. That's, what, that's what we're dealing with here. Well, let me go back to the, the, the end of that question I had. What commentators can we read other than yourself that that understand this more robust supernatural yeah. worldview that you're giving us? Are there conservative I commentators? Would, yeah, the the intervar. Uh, I'll I'll throw in the InterVarsity Press dictionary series. It's not a commentary, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Okay, um, that you can find a lot of this. The dictionary of biblical imagery is just great. You know, for this kind of thing, uh, uh -huh. the, the dictionary of uh, the series on poetry and wisdom writings has a great article on the Divine Council. I wonder who wrote that. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> Uh, it must, must know, have been it, you. <laughs> it must have been me. Yeah, I, I'm one of the prophets too. But, now, now, how but much those, pushback have series, you gotten to this? How much pushback though, really? Have you gotten much. a lot of pushback? It, no, it's been reviewed, you know, in Jets positively. It got reviewed in, in S, SBL's, you know, um, RBL series of book reviews positively. 
Uh, RBL. So uh, g- g- give the yeah, acronyms for these people. So, yeah, review of biblical literature. So it's it's been reviewed okay. on the secular side and the evangelical side, you know, positively. So no, I haven't gotten a lot back because like I said last time, the dirty little secret of the book is that Mike never had an original thought. All I do in Unseen Realm is take peer-reviewed scholarship mm. and and make it decipherable to the normal person. I'm a dot connector. Okay, I, I don't know why. My, man, my brain just works that way. I connect dots. Okay. I'm about synthesizing data points. And so since it's, it's based on good scholarship, no, I haven't gotten a lot of pushback. It's more on the, on the popular, well, we never heard this in church. Well, there's a lot of things that get published in really good evangelical journals that you never hear in church, too. It's right. just a lot of this, this stuff never filters down to the local church. And, and you know, let's bring Geisler in. Geisler did things intentionally for the local church. And it's just that is something that has been ingrained in me, and, and he reinforced when I had uh, him uh, as a seminary professor. Mm-hmm. More scholars need to do that. Right. Do something intentionally for the lo- for the people in the local church. For the rank and file, absolutely. We're talking to Dr. Michael Heiser. His book is Unseen Realm. Uh, or you can get the book Supernatural, either one. You can get his brand new book, which is great to give it to an unbeliever, by the way. It's called What Does God Want? What Does God Want? About halfway through that one, Mike. That's a short little one. Very good. And we're going to ask him some more questions right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk, back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turk on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. I suspect if you've been listening to this podcast and the one we did last week with Dr. Michael Heiser, you're getting a brand new perspective on the robustness of the supernatural worldview that the scriptures provide us. I want to delve down a little bit further into that robustness because, Mike, you write that there are at least dual personalities or dual powers of the Godhead in the Old Testament. And this was accepted in Judaism until about the second century A.D. because after that time, it looked like, wow, we're getting we're we're sort of given power to the idea that there's a trinity or at least plurality in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And the Jewish uh, scribes and theologians didn't want to do that. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. You know, this, this is actually a really good illustration of how high scholarship never filters into the church and it has damaging results. Mm. You know, be, because people in church should know this kind of stuff. I'll start with, with two other scholars you know, whose books are really important. Uh, again, they're academic, they're scholarly. I don't know how accessible they're going to be. This is why I wrote Unseen Realm to get people into this material. But back in 1977, Alan Siegel, who is just, he's recently deceased a few years ago. He was a professor of rabbinic studies, a committed Jew, wrote a book called Two Powers in Heaven. Mm. And his book is all about how Godhead thinking, two powers, not not one good and one evil, two two good guys, okay? Two Two Yahwehs used to be part of Jewish theology until the second century. And so his book, I mean, he's a Jew. He's writing this book and he's asking, hey, when did this become a heresy? Hmm. And the other book is, is by uh, Benjamin Summers, who 
wrote a book called The Bodies of God. Okay, he's a professor of Jewish studies at, at a rabbinic seminary, Jewish theological seminary in New York. And he'll say things in his book like, the, con- the Christian concept of a trinity fits very well with the Hebrew Bible. Just point blank. Wow. And you say, well, how in the world can these guys say that? Well, they can say that because they know their Old Testament really well. And, and New Testament writers knew their Old Testament really well. I'm, I'm one who believes that you have Godhead thinking. You have these categories of God in more than one person existing simultaneously, you know, of the same essence. That that is an Old Testament Hebrew Bible thought. They believed that. And that the things that are said in the Old Testament prepare uh, people in the New Testament era to accept the claims about Jesus. There was a long historical discussion between the Testaments about the two Yahwehs, who, who, especially who, the identity of the second one, who comes to people in the Old Testament in human form. It went on for centuries. But people don't in our churches don't know about this. And so then they go out to YouTube and they hear Bart Ehrman say something like, Oh, this is a Christian invention. Oh, this is invented, you know, centuries after the New Testament period. Hey, Bart, there's the Old Testament. There's the intertestamental period where they're talking about this over and over and over again. How did you miss that? Mm. Okay. So, you know, to back up a little bit, where do we get this in the Old Testament? It's not passages like Genesis 1:26, let us create humankind in our image. I don't think that talks about the Trinity. What I'm talking about are things like the word of the Lord and the name of the Lord. There are places where in the Genesis narratives, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. Visions are things you see. Okay, it's not invisible because you wouldn't call a a vision or something invisible a vision. So you have passages, it's not all of them, there's a handful, where the word of the Lord comes to people in the form of a man. He does it with Abraham. He did it with Samuel. You know, the, the famous, you know, little boy Samuel, you know, where, you know, he's being called and Eli, you know, dawns on Eli, hey, it isn't me, it isn't him, it must be God. So if he comes back, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And the text actually says that the word of the Lord, you know, and he's called Yahweh in the text, came and stood as at other times and called Samuel. You know, it's like we miss this language. You know, God as man in the Old Testament is a familiar thought. There are places where the angel of the Lord, again, is fused with Yahweh himself. My favorite passage, and I actually did this to a Jehovah's Witness. And I I wasn't mean about it. I've learned my lesson here. Mm-hmm. Had a Jehovah's Witness come to the door, and, th- and I know this isn't on the script. So it's like, are you sure Yahweh's not an angel? Oh, absolutely not. You know, and, and I know that they want Jesus to be an angel and be created and all this stuff. Are you sure? I mean, I asked to get the guy three or four times, are you, you know, positive. So then I took him to Genesis 48 and I said, okay, let's read this. And it's Jacob's prayer. And his prayer has three stanzas. And he says, May the God who, you know, did this and that for me. May the God who preserved me all my life. And then the third stanza you expect, may the God who did something else, but you don't get that. Mm. It says, may the angel who, you know, sheltered me from all harm may, and here's the kicker, may he, the verb is singular in Hebrew. May he bless these boys, blessing Joseph's sons. Mm. 
You can't translate it may they. It's yeah. may he. And you say, well, which one is it, Mike? Is it God or is it the angel? And the answer is, yep. Yep. <laughs> That's you know, because Genesis. They're, they're interchangeable. That's Genesis 48:16 for those yeah. of you that are I mean, it, looking. It's, yeah. it's a phenomenal passage. And, and of course, the scholars will say, well, Mike, you misunderstand this. You know, when messengers came before someone and they, they announced things, they were treated as though they were the person who sent them. Well, that's wonderful, Professor. But look at the passage again. The angel never speaks. Mm. This is Jacob's assessment of his life. And if you go back to his, through his life, these are all places where Yahweh appeared to him. Look at the verbs. Look at the incidents. This is Yahweh as an angel right there in the text. And, and the verb fuses the two. So out of this, what I do in Unseen Realm is I develop what I call a, a two Yahweh's theology of the Old Testament. And it gets expanded to three. The Holy Spirit gets looped into this discussion in, in a few passages. But it's mostly two. And what I mean by that is there's God presented in the Old Testament as an invisible transcendent being. And then there's also God presented in the Old Testament in human form visible, even corporeal, even tactile. Jeremiah 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Jeremiah refers to him as Yahweh. And, it, and the, the text actually says, he reached out his hand and touched my mouth. Mm. Okay. It's a, it's a tactile experience reported by the prophet. It's it anthropomorphic form. Doesn't the same thing happen in Judges 6? I think you, you also yes. talk about that in Unseen they're, Realm they're, as they're well, They're interchanged. Right? It, it's hard to tell Sometimes they're in the same scene. Sometimes they're not. Both yeah. of these Yahweh figures. And, and it's great because in the Judges 6 incident, the angel of the Lord takes off and goes wherever he's going to go. And God's still there because, you know, Gideon's <laughs> like, oh, no, I saw the angel of the Lord. What am I going to do? And then Yahweh says to him, you know, quit freaking out. You're not going to die. Uh -huh. So they were both in the same scene again. Mm. But this is what you get in the Old Testament. And the rabbis, they understood this thinking. They understood these passages really well. And they, and they intuitively understood that, okay, we have God as this transcendent, invisible God. And we have the same God in human form. And sometimes they're together, but they're certainly separate in other places. So what do we do with that? And they had, out of that came what Judaism called the two powers in heaven theology. And that gets carried into the New Testament because in between the Testaments, there's a lot of rabbinic discussion about, well, who's the second Yahweh? Is it this particular angel? Is it that particular angel? Is it some deified human like Moses or Abraham? And you have intertestamental Jewish texts that just speculate all over the place. So there's like 10 candidates. They're talking about this all the time. And then when you get to the New Testament, the Christians are in the back of the room and the Christian raises his hand and says, oh, we have a candidate. <laughs> can, can we suggest something you know and, and the new testament picks up on this and you know this is where this is one of the dividing lines between judaism and christianity because what the christians were saying is look you know the, the fact that they that they want a godhead is not new to judaism that's been on the table for four or five hundred years but when christians say the second yahweh is jesus of nazareth who you just crucified but he, the good news is he rose from the dead and he's the Messiah. That was offensive. Mm. Yeah, that was yeah. too much. Yeah. I and get so it. it's yeah. at that point in Siegel's book where he's, he talks about, okay, at that point, 
second century, they had to declare this as off limits to discuss. You actually had the Masoretic text changed a little bit, actually formed in, in, in its the form that we know it now. You had the Septuagint considered off limits, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, because Christians were using that. And it, it sometimes made this, you know, the, the Godhead thinking more transparent. You had a number of things where the Jewish community was circling the wagons. And I, I try to take all of this dense scholarly stuff and make it decipherable in Unseen Realm. I spend three chapters on the two powers. Well, you uh, do. I, just go through you, the passages. Yeah. That's why I picked up on it. Even I could pick up on it. <laughs> you were saying. This, this is, this, it's important it in is. apologetics for yeah. like Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. Unitarians. And, you know, it, it really has value because, again, here we, here we go again. It frames the discussion in not only a different way, but a, a more viable way. It, 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 it's rooted not only in the text, but it's rooted in the text in its own context. It's not an invention of the church. It's not a bunch of Christian guys sitting around the first century saying, hey, we got to say something nice about Jesus. Let's call him God. Right. No. It comes no, no, right no, out no, of the no. Old Testament. Yep. Right. Mike, we're, we're just about out of time. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about you. Where do they go? Well, they, they can go to the homepage, drmsh.com. Again, in the context of this discussion, don't forget about Naked Bible Podcast, Paranormal Podcast, and Fringe Pop 321. We are all over the place trying you to do something everywhere. useful in the church and to those outside the church. Well, excellent stuff as usual, Mike. We'll have to do this again. And uh, for those of you that haven't heard the first podcast, go back and listen to number one and get the book Unseen Realm. Also go to moreunseenrealm.com. That's the companion website there. Just some great material from Dr. Michael Heiser. And don't forget to listen to the Naked Bible podcast. Naked Bible podcast. All right, I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. See you next week. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.